Hey everyone, before we get started, I just want to make sure you're aware of something cool that Vagrant's doing. Vagrant has 26 years on the street anniversary shows coming up. On May 28th at the Five Point Amphitheater in Irvine, California, they're going to have Dashboard Confessional, Alkaline Trio, Thrice, The Get Up Kids, Hot Rod Circuit, and The Anniversary. And on June 11th at the Palladium Outdoors in Worcester, Massachusetts, they're going to have Dashboard Confessional, Thrice, The Get Up Kids, Hot Rod Circuit, The Anniversary, and Monine. For tickets and more info, go to vagrant.com. Hello, I'm Matt Pryor of The Get Up Kids, and this is Vagrant Records, 25 years on the streets, where we tell the oral history of the label by the artists, fans, and insiders. This episode, we talked to Monine and Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. Monine are possibly the most positive band I've ever met. They are Canadian, but it's more than that. I spoke to the singer, guitarist, and onstage whirling dervish, Kenny Bridges, about how they met Vagrant. And of course, the other voice you'll hear in this conversation is super producer of this podcast, Jesse Cannon. So, okay, when did you guys start working with Vagrant? Was it 2002, 2003? Yeah, 2002, and I think their first record came out on Vagrant in 2003, but we started doing stuff with them in 2002. And then was what was the la- the Canadian label that was It was a Winnipeg label ca- called Small Man Records. Okay. So it's not it's not anything to do with you. I didn't know if that was Okay. No, no, no. Uh, Small Man Records was actually a lot like like a very mini version of Vagrant in the same kind of like family vibe and um Well, who else did they put out? They they Small put Man out Vagrant. like a really really good band called called Choke uh, amongst uh, amongst those were uh, a lot of like really great Canadian bands, self-made bands, 60 Stories, Layaway Plan, all all these bands that Canadian indie rocker punk dudes would would know back then, but uh but 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 Choke was this tech punk band, and and they're what's brought brought us to that to that label in the first place. And then when we met everyone, and they're such a family thing. Um, and this is the this is how it's going to relate to Vagrant is that Rob and Jason from Small Man uh, also managed us as well. So they kind of were wearing those two hats, like uh, like Rich was back in the day. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, what, you're gonna bring that up already, Kenny? No, we talk. We talk. We've talked about it many times on this with the interviews. Yeah, so. yeah. We're we're gonna we probably will again. But uh, um, so so anyways, yeah. We were on Small Man Records, and then from there is when we started touring the states. And then that's when, well, see, Vagrant was always a dream for us way before it was even close to reality. Like they were the label in the States we wanted to be on. They were the label we wanted to be on regardless. Our little adventure was, I don't want to take over here, but our little adventure was was funny because it all started with Andrew Ellis, actually. Okay. He, I don't know how he got our record, but somehow he got our very first record that was out just on Small Man. I think briefly it was released on hopeless records and maybe that was the connection i never really found out how how ellis got got word of us but um, wait you think it was released on you think it was released on hopeless you don't know it was one of these things that lewis was like uh really liked the band and just kind of wanted to help us out so i think it it was on hopeless distribution i don't know how i don't know past that for us we were just kids thinking it was the best thing ever but everything kind of like happened really quick. I think that was like Lewis trying to like extend his hand out to help us and hoping we would come over. But it, unfortunately we got really, really psyched and excited about Vagrant. And then, yeah, as soon as we met them, it was just like, wow, this, this feels, this does feel like family. It feels like uh, the same kind of thing we have back in Canada. Ellis was pulling a lot of strings behind the scenes as far as I know. That, yeah, that's, that's another like through line through a lot of this is that he was very much a big part of, of all this. So was he? Did he be? Did Ellis start booking you in the states then? 
He did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. He was putting us, he was like kind of putting us on stuff before it was anything was official, just kind of helping us out from afar. But I think he was doing that also with Vagrant. I think he would, you know, pass our Richard or our, our record to Rich. And because next thing we know, we started showing up. I know he was working with lots of Vagrant bands, but we started showing up on some different Vagrant shows and meeting different Vagrant people. So that's why I think like, I, we, I think we have a lot to, and it's funny because I'm still scared of Andrew Ellis. Oh, come on. Well, not really, but like kind of, yeah. But uh, <laughs> I'll still hug him and he gets really uncomfortable, which I like a lot. But but he's he's one of the guys, honestly. I'll do, I do that too. Yeah. he, he, he Well, I can't say he hates hugs. He probably loves hugs deep down. But like, you know, anyone that met us early on just knows, wow, why do these guys hug so much? We would hug everyone. I loved hugging. That's, you know, that's a bummer right now. I can't hug anyone. What's up with that crap? <laughs> All I want to do is hug people. <laughs> so we, uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the first, this is crushing. This is this is a soul crushing story. But I'll tell you the first real Andrew Ellis vagrant memory I have all together was like I said, Andrew was putting us on some, on some shows. He was really helping us out from afar, uh, and he was like, "Hey, I got a show for you guys. I know you guys are touring through the states for the for one of your first times here. I got a show for you in Anaheim. You're going to play a club called Chain Reaction with Alkaline Trio and." Um, a couple other bands and you could tell like they're all just friends and, and Ellis just, he pulled this big favor and he just thought it would be a really good show for us. Cause coinciding with that, then we started getting calls from Vagrant. We started talking to Vagrant. We met up with Rich and then, uh, just over the phone, we hadn't met them in person yet. And then they, they said, Hey, we see you're playing this alkaline trio show, chain reaction. We're going to bring a bunch of people from the office out. You know, if things go well, then, uh, you know, maybe you guys will be on Vagrant. So all of a sudden it's put in our heads that are like, Whoa, this show is like, this show means a lot. So, but where other bands would take stress on and try to get as professional uh, or trying to get their shit together as much as they can, we're a bunch of weirdos. And, and for some reason, we went the opposite way and uh, we're even more ourselves, which was especially coming from Canada and doing, you know, pretty well in Canada and then going to the States for the first time. We were we were kind of <laughs> we trained ourselves that we have created a world, especially on stage where we could do anything we wanted. And if that means rolling around on the ground for a while making weird delay sounds or just talking uncontrollably about things from your past, like didn't matter. It's just weird things were, were always going to happen. Um, and unfortunately, Kenny Bridges picked a very weird thing to do, which was in the middle of one of our songs. So, okay, let me set this up. It's Alkaline Trio's show at Chain Reaction. So you could imagine how much of an underplay that, cause this is like 2002, I guess I would say. Yeah. So that was a pretty special show for them. So then here's this little Canadian band that's opening up, but the place is packed and it, it was great. It was a really good show. Uh, you know, we did everything we needed to do to, to try to uh, further our career as a young punk rock band with this label in front of us and this booking agent that we really respected a lot. And then in the middle of one of our songs, I decided to, uh, well, I don't know what, I, I think I blacked out, honestly. And my mind just started telling an old story about uh, a cat I had, um, which then built into some weird mayhem about the cat attacking my crotch, which was, was a true story, but just an ill time to tell this story. Anyways, continued on, you know, the people that are going to laugh, laugh, and the rest of the people shake their heads like, what the hell is that all about? But then we end the set and ends on a real high note. Everything's great. So we cruise the rest of this show. Just thinking like, wow, we just killed it. Uh, <laughs> see the people from Vagrant. We're talking to them outside in the parking lot. And they, you know, they're all down. They, they love the show as well. And then um, Hippie, uh, Chris from the band, we all call him Hippie. Sweetest guy you could ever meet in your life. Finds me in the parking lot. And he says, hey, I just ran into that Andrew Ellis. I was like, oh, you met Ellis? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, what do he say? He's like, well, he wants to have a talk with all of us. When? Right now. Well, where is he? He's, he's in, on some couch or something. And we, just come meet there. I'm like, okay, let me finish packing up. So finish packing the van and walk into that room with the three other guys. And then Hippie, who is 
socially awkward at best times, just because he's so shy, uh, is sitting alone with with Ellis on this couch, and they're not saying a single word. They're just kind of sitting there. It looked really funny, and we roll up thinking we're gonna have the best conversation of our band's life, which is we're gonna book you. Vagrant's gonna sign you. Everything's great. And we sit down, and and he he just looks at us, and he's like in his like Andrew Ellis, just straight up honesty. All right, show's good. You guys sound real tight. Guys jumping off the walls. It's great. But then, and I'm thinking like, what, what, but then like the still thing we're all riding high. He's like, then you have to tell a fucking cat story. <laughs> You're going to tell a fucking cat story. And I'm like, all of a sudden my entire life force just drains out of my body when he looks into my soul. <laughs> and basically says, you're a goof. You're a fucking goof. You had them and you have to tell a fucking cat story. And then I was like waiting for a punchline, but there wasn't no punchline. The punchline was like, I'm the punchline. I'm the punchline. So I thought I destroyed our band for a little while. And I uh, carried on for a couple months uh, thinking that uh, I just didn't know I was, my identity was destroyed. My This like security I had of like feeling I could do anything, especially when we're, when we're playing, was like deflated. That balloon was popped. But... <laughs> Maybe it was for the best, though, because when I think back and I'm like, well, what were you doing telling cat stories? Who wants to hear a cat story at a punk rock show? Yeah, but I know you and you've always been the kind of person who would do something like that. Like that was probably the best way to like introduce your authentic self to these people that you were going to work with. You know, they they it's you can only take so much. I mean, you guys put on a hell of a show whenever you would play. But it's like, you know, it is it was like a family then. And they got to know who you actually are. And if yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're if definitely not you're definitely part. not an arrogant rock star if you're getting up telling a story about <laughs> a cat attacking your crotch. Oh, no. Farthest thing from it. So it sounds like, though, I don't know. I wonder if you're like kind of the last of the group of bands that was kind of the, El, you know, the Ellis vagrant. Because you guys didn't ever you guys did never work with. Egan, right? As no, you know what? Yeah, that I guess that that would be another part of the story as we went is um he and I don't know how for how many other vagrant bands he did this for. I'm I'm sure he was always helping everyone out, but there was a short time, which probably wasn't actually that short, that he was really, really helping us out and probably stepping in more than he probably needed to. But he was like a pseudo manager for for a little bit. And we did approach him like, hey, do you want to, I know you don't have time, but if you did have time, would you want to? And it was kind of, I remember the way he put it to me was like, like, listen, manager or not manager, like, I'm going to, I love you guys. I'm going to help you out the same regardless. So he's like, let's just not worry about that. And just have fun with what we're doing. So he really did. And I, like I said, I don't, cause I, you know, I didn't want to jinx it. So I'm not going to ask, like, Hey, do you do this for everyone? But like, um, <laughs> it definitely felt like some special treatment and it was definitely very, we were very thankful for it because we got really like some of the best, easily the best memories we have involve uh, vagrant and just how close we got with some of the people that worked there. Um, and it really is. It's a very special place in my heart. And it always will. It always will be for, you know, if I look back and regardless of what happens with Monine, if we end up writing another record and start being a band again, or if we never do, I'm going to look back on those those days as really special days. And that's pretty cool because uh, I know a lot of people that just hate their lives completely. So, <laughs> so that was supposed to be a joke. That just sounded like I was really dark, but. Oh, okay. I thought you were just being dark. <laughs> no, I wasn't trying to. So. The first record you did with them is, are we really happy with who we are right now, right? And so was that on Vagrant Worldwide or was it on Small Man in Canada? I, I, Small Man put it out in Canada and maybe it was just a thing where they got, I don't know if they had it for the whole record cycle because I know they had to work out something and it was important for us too. We really wanted to keep it on Small Man in Canada because we worked so hard together. Did that record come out on Small Man first? No, it came out at the same time. 
Yeah. I remember at the time I was really kind of intrigued because like we had always had, you know, either international distribution in Europe and Australia and Japan, but we had never had a Canadian record label. And you guys were the first, you guys were the first, oh, A, because we never really thought about it. Because we just kind of was like, yeah, it's just like he, it's, you know, it's just right over there. You know, <laughs> like it doesn't, even though it's just a, it's a, a whole nother, a completely different market. It's a completely different, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? I think a lot of bands from the States don't realize like um, how much of a little world it is here of their own in Canada. But uh, same, but, Australia is kind of the same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, did you guys, did you guys, did you guys ever do that? Did you guys ever find a Canadian label or did you just piece it out? Not at the time. It just started getting distributed there. Yeah, okay. And it yeah, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't as, it wasn't as good. It would be like, you know, I mean, we'd have great shows in Toronto and Montreal, but that was basically, in Vancouver, but that was like the only places we would ever play because it was. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, you know what? There was a lot of, because we would always, um, like for us, it was normal, just like, you know, you guys back in the States, you're playing everywhere you can when you first start. So for us in Canada, we just, you know, we're going to play everywhere we can. But that also meant extremely long drives all, all the time. Like, you know, eight, six to eight Especially hours. Especially getting right? out West. Yeah, that's exactly it. Once you leave Ontario, you're like, okay, we're, you know, we're in for it. We're going to be doing some night drives. But for us, it was just normal. But I always, I always thought maybe that that was a deterrent for bands because their agents would be like, wait, how long is this drive in between shows? But the, the shame of it for me always <laughs> Not was, Ellis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're in Montreal me, I, on Monday and Austin on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Tell me about that first record. Because I mean, your first record with Vagrant. Where did you guys make it? So we we uh, we drove to California to LA area, Santa Monica. We did it with um, Trevor from Face Face, Trevor Keith and uh, Chad Blinman. Yeah, we did. We worked with Chad, which you guys worked with Chad as well, right? On something he, about yeah, he did something right home about. Oh, okay, sweet. And we had known Trevor. We had done a face-to-face tour and became friends with him. But we didn't know Chad before. And oh, man. The, well, those two together were just awesome to work with. But Chad is such a great guy. Well, they're both very sarcastic, and we had to learn that pretty quick. But so we, we drove all the way from, uh, from Brampton, where we live in Ontario, straight to um, L.A., and stayed in, I think we stayed in like some apartment that was in Rich's family's name that I, I think we might have screwed up. It kind of seemed like a Melrose place, but they just de- definitely didn't like young kids there <laughs> because I think they <laughs> caught on pretty quick. They're like, who are these young guys that just keep coming and going at all these weird hours? And we weren't loud or anything. We were never a party band or anything like that. But, uh, but things got a little weird and all of a sudden landlords started showing up. So I, I just remember, like, I can't remember much about it, but I just remember during the recording, we were also, like, hiding a lot. Like, we would be in the studio, and then when we would get home, we would just have to kind of, like, hide in this place <laughs> place we were staying. But uh, but we did the drums in um, in Chico in a really nice studio that had a very simple name that I can't remember, Audio International or something like that. But anyways, it was a super, super nice studio. And for us, it was our first time being in a in a real studio. And But it was cool because Trevor didn't want to do it as a uh, – he wanted to do it pretty much live off the floor, but but we didn't want to do it all live off the floor but but we liked that idea so so anyways we we kind of like really discovered how to take ourselves a bit more serious on, on, on that record because we just felt like you know we're working with trevor he's been in you know one of our favorite punk bands forever uh we're on this label that we look up to pretty much every band that's on it so it really did kick us in the butt like we really did step it up pretty huge and i think that actually it even helped i think with the songs because we've always been a little quirky and, and weird but like um but i think it kind of really helped us 
like push ourselves. And then like, it was cool. We worked just by the beach in Santa Monica at Chad's house. Like it was like kind of a dream. I've always, I, when I was a kid, I always wanted to like, I always had this dream of starting a band. And well, at the time it was get a, a mini school bus, which I now realize would be the worst idea because it would break down immediately. But I wanted to get this mini school bus and we are going to um, mod it all complete Chrome, which is another horrible idea. It would just be blinding people on the highway everywhere we go. But that was just our idea. And, and the whole plan was to make it out. This is a really specific to this specific pipe dream it's my dreams man we don't i don't mess around with my dreams that has to be very specific no but anyways our idea was just to get out to california so when we got to do that to do the, this record it was pretty pretty amazing for us like silly little canadian boys like and and that's when we spent a lot of time with the vagrant people and we really really got to know them we were you know we were in their office all the time and i'm sure driving them crazy pagini like wayne pagini probably wanted to literally murder us Every second time we went in there. Yeah. It's <laughs> we not used, just you. Dude, he is the best. We used to put him through such hell. I feel bad, but at the same time, he's a great sport. But I, I've once had myself duct taped to him in pretty much naked. I had a toilet paper diaper that we made, but he was in a meeting with Ellis and Rich, I think, in Rich's office. And we just busted in and I uh, basically straddled him, jumped onto his body, like, you know, wrapped my legs around in my arms. And then the guys gaff taped me uh, pretty much almost naked and, but so much gaff tape that there's, he couldn't get me off. No one could. I was just stuck on Wayne Pagini, which there's also a video of, which I haven't watched that in a long time. (laughs) But anyways, uh, never a dull moment (laughs) whenever we showed up at Vagrant. Oh man, I don't even know why. They They probably wanted to drop us so many times. What the hell do we get into? Who the hell are these guys? <laughs> I understand. Oh man, I was just thinking. I, I was when you were talking about like Trevor wanting to do the record live, kind of like as live as possible. And I remembered I would be like, that would have been my instinct too. It's just like you guys are such a powerful live band that you would just be like, how do we bottle this? You know what I mean? Like how do we how do we make a a document of what that actually is? But I yeah, think it's cool you know that you what? guys. It does make sense to me too. Like th- thinking back, but I think I just knew ourselves. And I know the strengths we had live as a band and what made that uh, exciting and interesting and always different. But I think we just went into a different headspace in the studio. But but we did find a compromise. It was pretty cool. Like I think it just put too much pressure on Peter, our drummer, to be honest. I don't think he liked the idea of that if something went weird for him, that it was going to screw everything up. So it kind of like stressed him out a bit. So we wanted to dial that back and just make it a cool experience. So we kind of multi-tracked it until we got to guitars. And me and Hippie, it was funny. We sat with each other in the little like uh, guitar booth because we wanted to be there with our amps to get feedback and stuff. Because we really were like, we didn't want to do overdubs. We really wanted to try and keep things as as real as we could. And, you know, as, as far as all the effects go. So it was really cool to think back like Hippie. I always like to sit and play when I record and Hippie always likes to stand. So there's this funny picture I have in my memory of when we were recording all the guitars for that record where we did them both at the same time. So if one person messed up we would both have to play so it was kind of like this real team effort but i would be sitting in this chair and hippie would be standing but we i don't know why we just were really close to each other like when my head would be down if i leaned forward like half a foot i'd be i would have touched his guitar like we just, i don't know why we we're like we must be connected stand so close but it was a super cool experience because like it really was it was like this little team effort with me and hippie and i've known him since he was since we were in i don't know probably kindergarten or something like that we lived across the street from each other oh, so wow. it was like yeah, we've just had this serious best friend bond where it's just like 
you know, you just know what the other person's thinking and like, but like, uh, I know for sure Tre- Trevor probably thought we were definitely a-, a little weird. Like we always want to change our guitar strings constantly. We want to just fresh strings. And now I think back, I'm just like, oh my God, why do we want that much work? Like why do we want to change our <laughs> strings so often? Like just play them. Yeah. I, I, our last record, our last record, I changed my, the guitar strings the first day and that was it. That was it. Well, that makes <laughs> sense. Honestly, that makes sense. <laughs> so, how was the response to that record when it came out? Were you happy? Were you happy? Did people dig it? And I mean, I know people dug it, but like, were you happy? Because you just like, did it come out and you just hit the road again? Yeah, 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 pretty much. And you know what? It was pretty cool because we were really living this like, um, in a way, sort of like a double life. Just because we we did we had a we had a couple of really good years ahead of ever going to the states in Canada, and and there wasn't honestly too many bands like us in Canada at the time. So we kind of had a had a thing going there. And I'm, I know I'm a very humble person, but it, you know, we had for, for the size of our band, it was, we were doing well in Canada. So for us, we lived this double life. So anything that happened in the States was just like a bonus to us. So I don't know if maybe our hopes weren't so high or, or what it was, but we never had any disappointment w- with the record. And for us, it's just, things kept growing. It was, we got to do so many amazing tours. That was the thing. Like we got to check off pretty much every dream tour box, like playing with your band and included and, um, and those were important things to us because like, cause like, like I said, with my specific <laughs> Chrome minibus dream, like we did, we, we set out with some pretty achievable goals when we started the band. And, um, one of them was just a small list of bands we really wanted to, to play with and share the stage with, uh, which, which I think we checked off all the, all the bands. We were lucky enough to do that. And another one was to get to play Japan. I don't know why, but it was just this thing we would just always, it just seemed like the only time I'm going to go to Japan is if I play there, I think. And, uh, and you know, what's funny out of all the goals that we did set, that was the only one, um, that we didn't ever do. Uh, we didn't ever get to go to Japan. So, so I guess we're just going to have to sort of figure out a make trick people into thinking that our Monine reunion is going to be really important in Japan. Only in Japan. Then, yeah. Yeah. We'll just, we'll set all of our sites <laughs> <laughs> for that to get over there. But, um, so when, when the record came out, I guess we didn't have any huge expectations, but so for us, it did better than we ever thought it, it would. Um, but we, like I said, we got to live this kind of double life where we had this kind of really cool thing happening in Canada. And then we would pop over to the States and it would just, it would be extremely humbling, but also really motivating, if that makes sense. Because we we weren't scared of playing shows to no one, to us. It was like, whoever you put in that room, uh, well, our goal is to try to get them to come to the room next time. And and I think most of the time we we achieved that. And uh, But I know Vagrant had really high, they, they were like, they were talking some, some real crazy talk to us ahead of time because I just, I think they've seen, they, they had seen so much really cool, surprising success with, uh, with other bands. Like, you know, I, I, I know your band was a huge, just a huge, huge, another dimension for what that label had seen at that point. Cause it was all so new. But then when you think about like hot rod circuit and like, um, Hey Mercedes and all these, all these awesome amazing bands that like uh did so well i think they just like <laughs> i don't know i think they just had more more hope for us than maybe we had for ourselves but to us we achieved a lot of great things but like um we just wanted to play that was the thing we didn't really care about record sales or anything like that but we just wanted to play places so whose idea was it to do the split with alexis i you know what i don't even know how that came about we are just we're really 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 good friends with them they're like our band brothers so we always, always played with them. I don't know. I, you know, to be honest, I don't, I don't think there's as much of a story about how that came to be as, as there is about, uh, of it actually happening. Cause I remember we talked about it and 
Um, next thing, because uh, yeah, at the same time, we were getting ready to record our next record, The Red Tree. Um, so we had just been, because we had toured for, I don't know, I want to say like about two and a half years on Really Happy, just like constantly just playing wherever we could. And I remember we took like a break, like a six month break or something of just no more shows. Let's just write. And, and I remember that's when this, this switcheroo thing came up and we thought it was a great idea. It'd be totally classic and fun. And then we said, yes. And then we kept writing our record. And then I remember getting a call from my friend who we recorded it, um, recorded switcheroo at his studio. I got a call and he's like, Hey, Kenny, you guys ready for tomorrow? And I'm like, ready for what? He's like, the recording, the Lexus thing. I'm like, oh, of course, man. What time are we doing that again? He's like, oh, don't come at like 10. I'm like, all right, all right, yeah, we'll see you there. I, we were practicing at, at the time. I hung up. I'm like, so I turned to the guys. And I'm like, holy fuck, guys, I'm an adult. I'm swearing. <laughs> <laughs> we have this Alexis recording tomorrow. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, we forgot about it. They're like, we haven't even worked on it. I'm like, okay, that's what we're doing this afternoon. What, what songs are we covering? Okay, we know we're going to cover this song. How many songs did you cover on that? Is it just two? It's just two. Luckily, it's okay. just two. But but so we, we knew we wanted to do that song, Accidents. It's their big song. And um, we come out and sing that with them all the time live. So that was a no-brainer. But then another one, we were struggling a little bit. Like, what the hell do we do? So we, we finally figured it out. But the funny thing was, it ended up being one of our favorite recordings we, we've ever done. It was so much fun. It was so creative. There was a, there was a moment where Hippie and I started setting up mics to play in the bathtub together for a part of the song. Like we were going to splash in the water and like add it in as like ambient noise until we got like, we were running the bath. And like, oh, I thought you met, you were, I thought you met you like put an amp in a bathroom and mic'd it up. Like, cause that's nope. a fairly normal thing to do. But <laughs> uh, Nope. You we're took a bath Monier. together. We were taking a bath together and we ran the bath. We ran the mics. And then the, the engineer was like, Kate, I love you guys, but what are we doing? <laughs> what, what, what's this? I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. Wait. All right. Let's dial it back. Let's go back to the studio. So anyways, it was an amazing, fun recording, and it, um, we ended up doing a this really cool music video with them, which was uh, it was basically a one shot video done in the same this giant warehouse space, this empty warehouse space, where we choreographed a one shot video on our side, and behind us, you know, fifty feet, they choreographed um, a different version. And if you watch both videos together, you see us pop in and out of each video. And there's a split screen version of, which is pretty cool. It's like a pretty cool, really expensive inside joke. Cause we use basically all the, the Canadian government's uh, grant money to make this video. And uh, <laughs> yeah, like that good old Canadian to, grant money. Canada, you got that right. But it was this, it was, it was madness. I just watched it recently. I, I showed it to my girlfriend and, and uh it's complete madness because there's weird things happening over there and weird things happening over here and they keep switching places. But like, it was really, it made sense for, for us because we were, we were like brothers just kind of playing around, having fun, but it was a pretty cool project to do. You know what? Uh, my favorite seven inch, to be honest, is the, uh, is the split you guys did with Coalesce. That's my favorite seven inch I have. Oh, thank you. That was a, I think it was probably, we weren't, we weren't super tight with them. I mean, we knew, we knew them and, you know, obviously we knew James, but then it, it was just, it was kind of the challenge of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it yeah, was just yeah, sort yeah. of like, how do we take a coalesce song and make it into a pop song? <laughs> it just I know. Well, I hadn't heard anyone do it before that. To me, that was the first, my first uh, time like being exposed to bands doing that. So yeah, I always loved that 7-inch. Um, did you guys tour together on that? Did, was that like a proper release? It, yeah. It, it, you know what? No, it only got released on... Um, vinyl at first in Germany. There might've been some Why? sort of a Canadian release, but as far as like, I, 
<laughs> I have no idea. But there was a really cool picture disc 10 inch for a while, and that was the only way you could really get it. And then it was finally re released. You know what? I, yeah, I, to be honest, guys, I, uh, there's some things I remember, then there's other things that my brain has just erased, which is uh, a lot of <laughs> having to do with the business side of, of music and moaning. But, but we toured so much with them. So that, that's why it just made sense, you know? That's awesome. I, lo- I love it when, when stuff like that, when bands are like that. So it was this, you were writing what would eventually become the Red Tree at the time when that was happening? Yeah, I think at the same time we did those Alexa songs, we did a couple demos as well. Because we were, at that point, I don't think we had a producer yet. So we were still trying to figure out who was going to do the record. And I... uh I remember at that point, um, oh, uh, Brian McTurnan did it. Oh, okay. McTurnan. Good old McTurnan. I don't, when I look at people's discographies, just to kind of get ready for these, there's not a lot of people that I'm friends with that have DVDs. And then I was like, oh, right. They have that DVD that makes McTurnan look like a shit. <laughs> Once again, here's producer Brian McTurnan. So the Monine was one of the crazier recording experiences. Oh, I've- I was kidding. I figured it was going to be mellow compared to all this. No. So, so Monine was this crazy situation where I did the biology and, uh, and the hot rod. And I think, I don't know if I've ever even talked to Rich Egan. Like, I'm not sure that I have, but he was psyched on those records and was like, oh, like, we'll have you do the Monine record. And like two or three days before they came to the studio, Rich finally listened to the demos and decided that he didn't like the demos. And so I get a call from my manager at the time that's like, hey, this Monine record's not happening. And I was like, uh... Just like they pulled the plug on it. They pulled the plug on it. And it was a weird situation because I was in the process of building my Baltimore studio and I had just sold my Beltsville studio to Matt Squire. Okay. So I had rented it back from Matt while for that summer and I was going to do the Monine record there and that was going to be the last thing I did there. And then, so... So I ended up saying, like, I liked the demos. I loved the demo. And they were rough and they needed work, but they were cool. Like, there was something there. And I ended up saying to the band, okay, like, just come down anyway and let's work on the tunes and we'll do some demos. We'll, you know, send them to the label and it'll be, you know, we'll, <laughs> it'll be okay. So they, so... They come down to the studio and they bring their videographer friend with them who's like making, had planned to make like a making of the record documentary. And I just remember that I think the band was so hurt that Rich didn't like the demos that they thought of me as like a proxy for the label. And everything I I suggested, I think that their initial thought was that I was just trying to make the label happy, which wasn't the case at all. So they they kind of like felt backed into a corner. So they sort of like doubled down. Doubled down. A lot of tension, a lot of like, you know, not fighting, but like, it was tense and it was like a, it was, it was, it was a, it was a tough situation and it all ended up being awesome because the demos came out awesome. We sent them to the label to, and they loved them. And then they were like, okay, go ahead and make this record. And, and it was the best case scenario. Cause I think that we did these great demos and then the band had, you know, like when you're writing a record, you get the scent of where you're going and, and they just like took the ball and ran with it. And then they, when they came back to make the record record, they had, dialed in the songs we'd already worked on and written a bunch of stuff that just rounded it all out and was like super awesome. And, and, um, and then we had, we went from having this super tense pre-production experience that was like unfortunate and like, you know, it was a tough situation for everyone to be in. But then when we made the record, I don't know that I've laughed 
or had that much yeah, fun. That doesn't surprise my, me. In my entire life. Like I remember they, they were like one the first Friday, they all came into the control room in suits. <laughs> and I'm like, what? what are you guys doing there? And Kenny was like, it's formal Friday. <laughs> formal Friday. <laughs> That's, cool. That's great. And then it was really crazy because I was still building the studio. Like I finished the control room and the drum room, like we could record, but they were still like the band department. They were still like hanging drywall and painting and doing all that. And oh, wow. so actually they started out the first two weeks of that record. They stayed with um, Mark Beamer, who's a photographer. I don't know if you know him, but who lived in Baltimore. So they stayed with him. And then as the studio got more finished, then they moved to the studio. So they were the first band to ever stay at the new new place and um and we just had like the best time i mean the best time and the funny thing is i reference them and kenny and that record to every band before we start mixing always because i don't think i've ever been that punished by a band with revisions in my entire life for just mixing notes like just yeah mixing notes but like kenny had this knack for being like okay you know like whatever you know don't tell Locke what he can't whatever song and Kenny would put like oh my god this song fucking hits so hard thank you so much for everything do you think that and then like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and then like drop the bomb like do you think the guitars could sound even better <laughs> like do you think <laughs> and and but it really does like show you that like sprinkling a little bit of love and perspective it's very canadian <laughs> it's yeah. very Oh, oh my God. The other fucking thing I remember about that record and those guys being Canadian is I remember we went to have dinner the first night they were there and one of the guys ordered a burger and they were like, how do you want that cooked? And I guess like, like that's, I guess everything's like well done in Canada. And I remember, I think it was hippier. So one of them was like cooked. I don't know. Like didn't understand <laughs> what, what that temperature request was. And it was really funny, but the really interesting thing about that record. And I give Kenny shit about this all the time is the guy ended up making that documentary, but only about those first two weeks. Oh, about the, the rough path. Yeah. So like I have never seen it, but I have definitely lost a lot of projects because of the way like. What, it, why? It, Do you come across would, as a dick in it or something? I, I mean, I, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen it, but it's only representative of the beginning where it was like the tension and the stress and the like without ever incorporating any of what came next, which was like really special and wonderful. I mean, like that was like one of those just fantastic record making experiences. And the the documentary of making that record makes it seem like we were at odds and I was pushing them to do things that they weren't comfortable with. And that's really, well, yeah. yeah. Now I've never seen it, but it's like, it comes up all the time. Really? Yeah. Huh. So maybe I'll have to watch that at some point. <laughs> there seems to be an interesting thread where at least as, as we're like kind of going through this like history of Vagrant thing that like from my band through about 2002 or 2003, the label was super hands off, like in the creative department. You yes. know what I mean? And then, right. it, and I guess maybe because there was more money being thrown around and People were getting, you know, it's after the dashboard explosion and like they were felt like they had to be more hands on about stuff. But it was just kind of like it, so far, all the stories, including this Monine one with Egan just going, I don't like it. Like they don't they just sound negative. Like they don't sound like they had like any like super, super like helpful input. The funny thing was they ended up loving the record like uh, I, I like like and it really did come out cool. And the demos weren't great. 
I mean, that's the thing. It's that we worked on it a lot and we got there, but like Vagrant was very hands-off. I mean, I- That's probably like the last record they were, <laughs> you know, like, and as you'll hear, Kenny feels the same. Oh, I, I'm glad we, I'm glad we're talking about this. Cause I want to, I want to set the record straight. Not that this is going to be the, the defining place to do it, but I wish that movie never came out because it's bogus. Anyone who watches that movie, which there, it's just, it's a real bummer because like that movie, basically all the footage that makes it like look super depressing isn't even from the record. It's like from the first week of pre-production when unfortunately uh, our band was having a bit of a meltdown and it was like real weird and none of us knew really what was going on, but we just knew things weren't working like they normally would. And Brian knew that too. So here's the unfortunate part about that that silly movie. And I've, you know, uh, <laughs> me and Brian have talked about, it, I've apologized it a million times, but, uh, it's obviously did just, <laughs> it stuck with them is the dude that was doing that documentary was just coming. Hey, I'll just come film some stuff. I've come on tour with you. Let's just film some stuff in the studio. I'm like, well, I don't know about that. Cause it's kind of a different scene and like, it's a different headspace for bands. So I don't know if it's a good idea. I'll just come for pre-pro. Okay, cool. He comes for pre-pro. We're having a bit of this weird meltdown and he drops his camera one week in and his camera breaks. There's no more, there's no point for him to be with us anymore. He has no camera. So he flies home. So he's gone. Me and Brian, the day that happens, me and Brian go for a lunch and we both are just like, okay, listen, what's going on here? What is happening? This is not the vibe we were having when we were on the phone, talking ahead of time. Like, you know, we were, we were both really excited for this. And also what it was, was it? really weird. You know what it was? And me and Brian figured out, and then the next week of pre-production was the best. We figured out that we had all this internal pressure and and Peter had some pressure uh, again of just like, you know, you know, some some drummers just carry some some extra weight, knowing that there's a lot of pressure on them um, to get something going, right? Well, for Peter, that was just a it was it was kind of getting in his head a little too much. But for Brian, I guess Vagrant had really gotten gotten on the phone with him a bunch of times being like, listen, you got to really get in on these songs. You know, we really think some big things could happen for this band, but we got to really, you got to really get in there and produce it. And so he went in with this mission of like, I got to produce these songs. But in the end, the funny thing is, is all the songs on the record version are like, for the most part, pretty close to the demo versions that we came into this pre-production with like ahead of time. And he just went into it thinking we got to change everything. We got to make all these changes. And, um, and it just didn't, it didn't make a great environment for anyone. But here's the funny thing. As soon as Brian and I had that talk, he's like, oh, man, let's just play the songs and let's just see what we got and let's go from there. I'm like, yeah, that's great. Let's do that. And then honestly, the next week and the whole actual record that we did was incredible. It was the best. You know, I consider Brian still to be one of my really great friends because of this this connection that that, that we had. But unfortunately, this stupid movie was edited around tour footage and one week of a miserable pre-production first half of pre-production. So it's like, it's a pretty unfair thing to be put out there, but unfortunately it got to a point where I don't know why it was ever released because I didn't feel very good about it. But again, I just was like, well, maybe I'm being too whiny anyways. It it feels like that Metallica movie to me, you know, like just being all emotional and (laughs) extra when when you don't need to. Like, no, it's not good. You know, like you take anyone that knows Monine, like has has met us, they're like, oh, you guys are the most positive people are doing weird things, rolling on the ground, having a great time. You know, like, What's this all about? So it's just, it was just really unfair, to be honest. Like, uh, and it's definitely not a picture we wanted to paint of Brian, but fucking editing, fucking editing. <laughs> it sucks. Maybe you should go back and do a, do a director's cut or something like that. Yes, a Kenny edit. <laughs> just go re-interview Brian again. Yeah. I, you know what's, you know what the best part of that? Cause there is some really funny stuff on it, but like the, all the emotional stuff is just, it's just so lame, but we did a, uh, <laughs> a commentary on it, which was actually really funny. It made, it, it pretty much made the movie and anyone that 
bought it at our merch table or talked to me about it, I was like, just watch it with a commentary because it's a, a bit more of a, an enjoyable experience. But I kind of put it out of my head, honestly. I deleted it from my brain. It sounds like everything was smooth sailing and you made a great record after that. We did. Yeah, we did. We're that's You know what? For a long time, I thought that was the fan favorite record. But I think in the in the end, when I really realized, because uh, you know what, because yeah, we we got to do a couple of those. Um, well, as you know, you're you're there with us on uh, on. The, I think those are the Red Tree ones. Did you come play the Red Tree shows? Do you remember at Lee's Palace? Okay, yeah. So we had also done. So we thought Red Tree was the. Fan we went out to record. eat it. We went out to eat at uh, Maddie's place. Maddie's place. Yeah. Yeah, Maddie Matthews. Who I've still never met. Oh, you've never run into him yet. Yeah, he's the best. He he really he, you know he was trying to make it out with us that night, but didn't happen. I think he just had a baby. I think what, what was what the deal was. But we we got to do a couple of those kind of record anniversary shows and uh and we realized that in the end the Red Tree I think was just a special record to us because we did overcome these these hurdles and you know it it was never it wasn't like we were the band was breaking up but there was definitely it was the it was a time we felt the most turmoil within the band and we didn't really we weren't I don't think we were, I don't know what we weren't, but we maybe weren't old enough or maybe not mature enough or brave enough to just really, really talk it out because there was a lot of things that like I think could have easily been figured out, you know, within a band. You know, there's like certain band arguments and there's certain things you just don't bother with because people are just moody or maybe I'm moody. But like, uh, so for us, it was like Pick a your big battles. record. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we, we thought we put out a really good record, but then I think I've learned now that um, Really Happy, I think, is the fan favorite record. Which I was surprised by because it's 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 much much more of a weird record than Red Tree is that's for sure. But I guess that's the thing with records; they always have a special different place in your heart too. As the fact checker on this podcast, Kenny, I'll, I'll say this: you got a pretty even hand between those two records on your uh, most popular Spotify songs. So, oh really? What's the most popular? Does it are we really happy? It's the most popular song, but but in your top ten, it's a pretty even hand from those two records. Is it okay? Well, that's great. I'll take that. I like that. Because you know what? <laughs> when you started like touring on Red Tree, were you guys feeling burnt? Or was it just like, did it feel no, like you were? At that, at that point, we were like, we were burnt. But I think this kind of six, eight months we took or whatever it was before recording kind of was exactly what we needed. Because it was still like, it was it was like, you, well, you, you'll know this well. Like, love jamming. I love jamming. I love writing songs. I love recording. You know, like all these things. Like, And I do love love playing shows more than anything but at that time all the tired night drives constantly going constantly feeling like I don't have a voice it caught up to me to the point where I just really wanted to like just go back to my favorite parts of the band and and we really we we, we really had that like we went to um, Eric the bass player we went to his parents were nice enough to just like give us his the whole basement and we kind of set that up as a home base and they were like cool with it. And occasionally, occasionally Eric's dad would come down with a couple pointers on the songs, um, which I always loved. I love, really? love, oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> One time he came down and was like door busts open. And whenever that happens, we're like, oh shit, we stopped playing no matter what. Like, hey, Mr. Hughes. He's like, that one, boys, that's a two-ton pumper. What? A two-ton oh, pumper? Yeah. That's a two-ton pumper right there. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, good work, boys. Door closes. <laughs> he goes back upstairs. We're like, okay, I think that's good, right? That's a good thing. Okay, that's, this is our first single. <laughs> Probably one of my favorite live moments. You know, like sometimes people will be side stage and it'll kind of like change your show in a good and bad way. And like if you have pals side stage, it kind of like pumps you up. You were involved with one of my f- favorite live memories involving like a oh, boy 
side stage. It was at those those Red Tree shows at Lee's Palace. And, and it was like, you know, you're putting everything into it. Obviously, we haven't been touring. So it's like my stamina might not be the best. But like, you know, remember where, where, where the uh, side stage... Um, backstage room was like kind of up those stairs yeah kind of up a big open window and you were kind of like at one moment you know you must have just been like chilling just like watching the show a little bit and you probably looked down at me turning my back to the audience and coming back to the amp to sort of get a drink of water and i think you could tell that i was almost about to die like it was like i could barely hold on because i just remember hearing this voice kenny kenny i don't know why i gave you that that's sort of strange accent but that's the accent you're gonna have Uh Uh, and I look up and you're just like you can do this you got it you could just tell I was (laughs) dying and I just remember looking up seeing you like hearing that and be like yes like basically hulked it back to the mic was like let's go I was the thing is I was probably I was probably fucking with you for some I was probably like (laughs) (laughs) maybe but it was a great, it got me through it. I was like, let's do this. See, that's the thing. We tried to break up our band. Like, uh, well, I tried to, I tried to break up the band in like 2010, but the guys wouldn't let me. They're like, let's just do some things here and there. Why do we have to break it up? And I was like, because I like final things. I like to end things. You know, I'm stubborn. I wanted to ask, cause you were talking about, uh, Brian, when you guys were doing red tree that talking to the label and he was feeling like this, like pressure, from them, but did they, did you, did you feel that from Vagrant? Like that you, know you were funny? like, well, no, no, not necessarily. Like I, I, I always take things on in a, in a bit too much of a way anyways. Like, so I can't gauge that, but I, I can't say as a band, we were feeling pressure like that. I might've been putting the pressure on, but, but Vagrant definitely was not putting any pressure like that on, on us. So then when Brian opened up to me and we just finally had this like real honest conversation of like, what's going on here. And he let me know that I, I was, it was kind of two things. It was one like, Oh, that's, that's weird. Like, wait, is that, is that saying that the songs aren't that good? But then I kind of stopped my brain from going there and, and just turned it into a, you know what, this is just, there's some people that really care and want to see some good things happen. Uh, so let's not let the Kenny negative brain run away with this. And, uh, and we really did. We, we, uh, we, we, we put it back on track. Me and me and Brian, especially like we really put it back on track and, and, uh, but there was, there was a batch of demos that I remember, um, and it had nothing to do with whether Vagrant would like them or not. But I remember the first batch of demos before we found a producer and sent them to, to Rich and, and Dan and Wayne and everyone um, and John. And, and then uh, I remember like calling it, will, will Rich, yeah, will, really, will Rich really be happy with who we are? Thinking it was just a clever, clever, ironic take on our first record. <laughs> but he, I think he was a little offended. I felt really bad after. He like emailed me like, or maybe even call was like, hey, what's up with this, uh, these demos? I'm like, oh, did you get them? He's like, what's up with this title? I was like, oh, I don't know. It's kind of funny. He's like, it's not funny. Oh, oh, it's not funny. You're right. That's not funny. Um, sorry. He's like, yeah, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> like he took offense to it. And I was like, oh shit, that joke backfired so bad. <laughs> but as far as like, like that was the thing. That was the thing with Vagrant. They like really, it, they did. They, whereas Ellis called us goofs, which was completely right. Vagrant really did accept us for everything we were. We were not trying to make short songs. We weren't trying to do anything really properly. Like, uh, you know, I remember the first time we did a photo shoot that Vagrant was involved in. Um, they made us do it again. 
Because it turned out it was complete insanity. Every shot was like a moving shot. We're climbing on each other. You know, we're wearing what we normally wear, which was like free clothing from like a Canadian uh, snowboard skateboard company. Like we just got free circuit clothes. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that company. And like that's all mm-hmm. we would wear. But none of them yeah, yeah, yeah. fit properly. It was like all ill-fitting, like horrible clothing. And we and like I didn't, you know, when I used to have hair, which is why I don't anymore because I never took care of it. It looked like it was basically like some like road animal just jumped on my head and was like, let's go for a ride. Like, like I look like a disaster. Like these pictures were like, I don't blame them, but they, they, uh, I remember Rich called us. He was like, dude, what's wrong with you guys? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, we got these pictures. They're, they're horrible. What do you mean they're horrible? They're like, it's like nothing's even in focus. You guys are flying around all over the place. What are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. We told us to be ourselves. And like, and that was it. Like you put us in an awkward situation where we didn't feel comfortable and we are going to go above and beyond uh, and just, be weirdos because I guess that was our defense mechanism. Cause we were never, we never felt cool. Like we were never felt like cool guys. Like whether it's like early on or any of us in school, like we were, ne- we were, we were the weirdos. And so we got to be these four weirdos all together. And I just remember that photo shoot was a disaster. They, they brought a hair person in. Someone tried to do my hair. I was like one of the saddest days of my life. And like, <laughs> we got brought to this, like uh, this vintage clothing shop to buy cool clothes. And like, we literally couldn't, we couldn't even do that. We didn't even know how to go into a store and buy cool clothes. Like, oh man, that was the, I'd say that was the only time that was like a, like a weird rubbing of like moninisms and, and, and vagrant, but like they really were, they were very supportive of us just being us. And, and I think we like, that seems to be a common thread, especially with the, the bands from, you know, uh, the earlier years, the kind of like the first wave of bands on the label where it was just like, they seem to like let everybody just be themselves and kind of like, you know, make the, the records that they wanted to make, but then maybe they had some, some external pressure or internal pressure on their end, but they just never shared it with anybody in the bands, you know, like they didn't write the bands. (laughs) Do you think that's true, Jesse? Yeah. I think that that, and then it seems like at some point, like we were kind of shocked when McTurnan said that they didn't like your demos because we had not heard something like that before. I felt like. Yeah, that's true. Because they every everything else, it was just kind of like, oh yeah, they just let you do whatever and just yeah, and it works. Yeah. You know, maybe it was just a time for the label that like because because shortly after us was when the overall uh, all just musical vibe, not anything about uh, other than that, but like the musical vibe started changing. They started getting into like some more kind of screamy heavy bands, like. I think we were one of the last kind of like younger band, baby band, whatever you want to call it. Like, um, I, I think of you as like the last sort of band of, of, I think of you guys like the last band of our kind of class. You know what I mean? Like yeah. where it's like us and saves and the trio and dashboard and anniversary and hot rod and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, because it, de- it definitely did. Like things, it, there was like a shift, like I felt a shift after even just as a fan of the label because cause that, that was a thing. All those bands, you just, just rhymed off and the whole, you know, the whole family that you were feeling that, that was something from afar that, that we looked up to, you know, that's why Vagrant was the band or sorry, the, the, the only label we really wanted to be on because we loved every band. We just respected it more than, than anything. Cause each band was so different, you know, each band had their own sound and that was just like something we just really wanted to be a part of. And the, and the fact that we, we did get to be a part of that is again, like I said, I'm a, I guess maybe I'm a little humble, but it's a pretty 
it's a pretty cool thing to look back on that we were able to be a part of that because as far as being a Canadian band, I remember when we did get, get signed, it was, um, it was like, this is going to sound weird, but like at least part of the music community in Canada was all celebrating. They're like, Oh frick man, Monine did it. Like they busted this invisible border because it is, it's really hard. It's, it's even some of the most successful Canadian bands, even just talking about like punk rock had a hard time in the States. Like th- there's bands I know, like um, Alexis and Billy Town are just two very easy examples that at the time that they're doing really well in Canada, they're also doing really well in Europe. They're also doing really well in, um, in Australia. They're going to Japan. And, but the States was like this, it was like this, like, uh, I'm trying to think of a really good analogy, but it, it was like an unattainable attainable thing for a lot of us bands. We're just like, well, we can get stuff going, but I don't know what's going on there. That's a, that's a tough one. And, uh, and so I remember when we did get signed, it was like we got on um, we got on the cover of these two pretty major cross Canada magazines at the same time, both both just boasting like, "Hey, these little Canadians just did it. They just got signed to this this really cool label in the states." So it was like, and I just remember we play shows, and it was like other bands or fans or whatever. Like it was like this special thing, but it felt like something we all like had done together. Like it was a pretty cool. Pretty cool moment, I'd say. Did you have any thoughts about that kind of like, did you feel like a, a, a conscious shift in that scene? Yeah, yeah. We we definitely felt, we felt more of a connection to what I'll say is the older catalog of Vagrant. Um, you know, all the bands you're just talking about. We, we felt more of a connection to that than we did to the sort of more um, intense, aggressive, kind of screamy side. See, like, I remember when we did a Vagrant tour, I think it was a Vagrant Europe tour. It was from Om Dash's, um, Emmanuel, Census Fail, and us. I think it was just the four. And we were really, we were, we were the, we were definitely seemed like the mellow band compared to, to the others. Yeah. It's one of um, these things is not like the other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were, we were sort of used to that because I think like when we first started playing, um, the hardcore scene is just kind of where we ended up a lot of time at, at, at shows. Cause at, at least for us, there wasn't as much of a, like a, you know, like a punk rock scene for our kind of bands. So we would play hardcore shows. So it wasn't so weird, but we were kind of used to not kind of half not being accepted. And, and that, that tour, especially, we kind of felt like, like a new thing was coming in and we were sort of like, okay, we kind of feel like we're in between the shift a little bit because we did have this like real melodic connection um, to some of the older bands, but then these newer bands that were like screaming really intense, like, uh, I think we just kind of had to find our place, but I think that's what kind of th- threw our next record off is like, um, I think maybe we went like the opposite way. We tried to get even quieter, which I don't know if that's a mistake or not, but we did it. So tell me about that. Like what, what, cause you did, so did McTurnan do that record too? No, no, we, we stayed in Canada and did, did that one. Yeah. Yeah. We did it with a guy named David Bottrell, which has done some, he's done some pretty cool stuff, but never, and he's never really done at that time. He hadn't done a record like, like ours yet. So it was a pretty cool experience. Is that before the tool record? No, that would have been after. So that was a big get for you guys. It was, and he, it was, it really was, it was like, and it was different enough. And I think we were going through such a, I don't know, we were going through an identity crisis, I guess I could put it that way is where we did want to write some 
heavier, more kind of groovy, sort of strange time signature songs. But at the same time, Hippie and I wanted to write some really, really soft songs. And and I can't say I, I personally look back on that record as um as my favorite. I guess I'll just nicely put it that way, because I think there's a lot of baggage that co- comes with it as far as songwriting. It's just not really, like I listen to it, I'll just honestly say it's not the most focused record. It's It kind of sounds like a bunch of guys that are capable of doing a few different things, and we definitely tried that. And I don't know if that's a good idea or not, but I mean, I guess it makes sense that I chose to stop the band <laughs> after we recorded that record. So I don't know. It was, it was a bit of a weird time. Did you guys tour on that record? Yeah. 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 We toured actually quite a bit, but you know, it's funny as it was like, how was the we response were, to it? It was good, but I don't think, I don't think we personally gave me, you know, I'll, I'll bring it all into myself. I don't think I gave that record as best of a chance as it, as it deserved, because I think I got freaked out by some, how different some of the songs were that we were doing at that point, we were doing a lot of, in the States, we were still doing a lot of support tours and I just didn't like the way the new songs felt live, but I think I should have given them more of a chance to be honest, you know, instead of just like feeling that like dead crowd feeling, you know, which sometimes you're going to get as a support band anyways, but I put it more on that these songs are, maybe these aren't the right songs we should be playing and it, which is, which was a silly attitude, but I think it was, I was, I think I was going through a thing at that point, you know, we had a new drummer at that point. So the whole vibe was different and we're very nostalgic. And I think we were trying to hold on to something from the past, but when you don't even have all the same guys, it's, it's going to be different. And that's good. I know that now. I know that making a change and pushing yourself, especially creatively to some, some different place is a really good thing. But I think at the time I wasn't ready for it. So I think that's, that's kind of what brought me to the point where I was like, I don't think I want to do this band anymore because I think I just had such an identity crisis of like, well, what are we doing? Are we rolling on the ground, you know, the craziest live show we can, or are we playing these like soft, slow songs, which I wish I embraced all of it, to be honest, but I guess that that's, that's life, you know, live and learn. Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, like Thrice, had spent some time on a major label, but ultimately when that relationship ended, they found their way to Vagrant. I spoke to singer Robert LeVon Bean about that time. So we're going to talk about your guys' relationship and experiences and opinions of Vagrant Records. So how did you first come into working with Vagrant? Because it looks like it's around like 2009 or so? It was actually, yeah, it was interesting for us because... We had been on, like, we started off on Virgin, like, our first record, our first two albums was Virgin Records, and it was, like, a major, and it was all very, it was, uh, it was all very opposite of, of, like, how we approach things naturally. So the further we got into, like, the more people we met, and the more, the way they talk about music and the way they would kind of, you know, have their kind of more major label kind of mindset, the more you're just like, oh, I'm at the wrong party. Um, like, this is really like, you know, not my scene. But we had this like philosophy that was like, it was kind of trend. It was kind of trendy at that time to be like, I don't know, to like do this bait and switch thing where you would, you would kind of other bands we'd noticed would kind of like build up a bunch of a bunch of like kind of buzz or whatnot and then they would they would say oh no we don't want the major label we want to go with the indie but but they would do it in a way that was sort of it was a little bit nefarious so so we were like oh fuck that well we'll we kind of 
we don't want to pretend like we're too cool for that. And, and we had this idea that like, well, a grenade, you know, going off in like a closed fist, that's like going to do more damage than, than an explosion off to your left somewhere. So, so we thought let's, jump down the belly of the beast and and that was this kind of really it's like really it's like we didn't know what the hell we were getting into and so we found out the hard way that it's just you know the major system is just not for us at all and we weren't going to bring down the, 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 the great <laughs> you weren't going like, to bring they, down yeah, the establishment the, the, the machine the establishment the whole thing but we had you know like every every you know new band should have just you know just idiotic like you know uh gumption and that's part of the fun of it but we got her beaten and and actually like the first album even was uh it was a whole year the first record was out and we were we kept hearing that we were going to get dropped because we were just driving around in a van cross country and it was only like a year later when it came out in the in the uk that it, it kind of got this it the enemy and mojo and it got into this like slipstream of yeah the white the white stripes and the strokes and all that which was like kind of exploding over there in in the uk and europe so that was like our last minute saving grace was was that the record kind of blew up you know not in america and we spent the rest of our career trying to trying to be rediscovered by our own people like by by, by is that weird like is that is that a strange feeling it's very strange yeah i've often wondered like you i know a lot of american bands that like are big in germany you know or like especially when you know like hardcore bands and stuff like that and it just kind of like the uk has always kind of been more hip especially to to like you know guitar driven music than i think the states is which is i don't know it's it's just it's it's kind of a, a strange phenomenon it's like had to be exported in order for americans to even totally get you guys you know like all of europe is essentially like music is more of a part of the culture more like kind of your daily bread like people communally like talk about it and it's more it's just more of, i guess the you know america's spread out and they have other interests and so music isn't as communal and part of you know the daily kind of conversation it was like wildfire it just spread spread a lot quicker and that was kind of surreal because we had never experienced that and we we got really paranoid because we're like oh it's nice to be loved for five minutes but we know that our five minutes is probably or 15 is probably going to be up pretty soon. So we were always really suspicious of of kind of any band that kind of explodes out of nowhere or something mm-hmm. and like why that is. And so um, and we also just didn't fit very much with what they were trying to sell, which was this kind of yeah, like it's kind of teen beat version of of kind of rock and roll where it was. It's technically rock. It's technically based in like this kind of blues rock, but it's also user friendly. It's cute kids. It's like we're singing about light things, essentially, like, you know, like strokes and white stripes and vines and hives. They're like really great bands. But we always had like, um, we were just way too serious for everyone else. We were, we were, you know, we were singing mostly about heavier stuff that, that didn't, that that didn't fit the brand that they that the press at least really wanted us to kind of fit into. So I'm taking forever to tell you how I wound up with Vert. No, this, with is, inter- Vagrant, this is really interesting. Con- Context-wise, we were kind of just a, kind of never could find 
a home or a place that was like that actually fit like coming to terms with the fact that we don't really fit anywhere and we never really had with a scene or a thing and labels we went from virgin to then this like babe Powell and baby 81 was rca and and it was still just too i don't know they wanted they always wanted like for instance the only reason they 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 signed us to how was if we promised them a, a rock record after that and and like okay we'll, we'll kind of throw how out as like a kind of we'll, we'll press a couple copies as long as you get back to business and do something real after this. And we were like, <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> we were actually already making baby 81. So it wasn't like a big coup d'etat. We we're like, yeah, sure. We'll make another rock record that was kind of already in play, like writing wise. But, uh, but how became this other thing, which we always knew it should and could become believed in that album. And they were always trying to catch up to it of like, well, this is supposed to be a throwaway record. And then it became like one of the more beloved albums that fans have with, with, with us and over the years. And so that was a strange, you know, switcheroo. But after that and Baby 81, we were, we were just done. We were really done with trying to, it was like always, we were always the disappointment. It's like they wanted, they always wanted, it's like the American thing of like, we want more and more and more. It's so, weird to me that, that um, they would have that expectation of, of your band because like, I see you guys as that, being... That's what we kept telling them. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think of you guys as being very not, unique, you know, and it's just kind of like, yeah, the reason that they're so cool is because they do something totally different, something totally their own. Like, what? don't try to make them write a three minute pop song for the radio or something, you know, like... I don't know. It's just, it's interesting that they would, I'm wondering what their, what the philosophy was going into it, knowing your band of just like, are they going to try? I think the philosophy was that the, each person that worked at, you know, a major label, they, it, around those times, it was, they didn't know if they were going to have a job in the next quarter or whatever they call it. So no one could think beyond the terms of like a few months from now. And so, so it was really disheartening when, when you're trying to build something that has substance and, you know, it's like the album, the albums of the bands you love, which I didn't fall in love with a hit single. I did. I, I didn't devote my life to making music because of one song that, you know, was trending. It was, um, you know, it was came from a different place. So, but when that's the mindset, or that's the panic of like, we got to sell, sell, sell the farm. Some bands get into it and some bands like want to, you know, make a bunch of dough and cash out quick. And, but I came from, uh, my, my father was like, I grew up with my dad being in this band called the call. And as a kid, like making music as a living was like, kind of was a very blue collar job to me, which no one else like has this experience. But to me, it's just like dad's job. And it's like, okay, yeah, you just, you sweat it out. You, you, you know, you go on the road, you come back, you, you make another one, you sweat it out. And there's no, there's no riches or rewards, except that being the getting to do what you love is the reward. So that all made sense to me, but none of that kind of thinking is in step with like majors. So finally, when we were out of that, we had like temptation to go back into yet another one that would throw a bunch of money our way. But Vagrant was, um, you know, it was like going the indie path, but I respected a lot of what the 
done, or at least what they said they would do, which was pretty much <laughs> the funniest thing about them is always like waiting for the other shoe to drop because um, they, they, it was like, we'll genuinely let you do what you want to do and stay out of your way. And it'll be more of a partnership, like all the things that it should be, but no one ever holds their word to that. And, and so the, as we were making these records, I kept thinking, oh, when are, when are they going to balk or when are they going to like turn on us or something? And they didn't, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it was just strange because you just keep thinking that. I've had your heart broken too many times and now you can't leave. Yes, it, it was that. Yeah. It was probably trauma from previous exes or whatever. It was a whole, it was a whole different way of finally like the, that energy could, rather than going into fighting a label, it could go into like, Oh, you're actually our friends and you actually want to help us. And you don't want to just stand in the way you want to, it, it, they're like alien thoughts after a while, of like not looking at the label as the enemy, you know? So, um, it took us a while, but it was kind of why I wanted to do this was like, I've always kind of wanted to say thank you in that sense we came from a lot of battered relationships and then vagrant like finally let us like i don't know it was like a the most respect we ever got from from the system or or you know like from a partnership or anything like that because you guys did you guys did it on like a co-release kind of thing like it was like a you had your own label through vagrant yeah we basically it was very honest like everything split down the middle so it's like no one's gonna if any if uh, like there wasn't you know it's an independent so there's not like 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 a lot of money it's just everyone puts in everyone you know we're gonna give it all our all and we'll spend our own dough as well so that it's more like it felt the best way to describe it is more like partnering with like someone else that's kind of in the band with you and you just go in it together and then you you split whatever and and no one's trying to kind of like i don't know hit the lottery and cut you cut the cord you know and leave you adrift so and there also wasn't that sort of drunken thing of like the pressure of having some a number one anything it was like the eye was on the bigger prize i guess of it's about music dummy it's like you know it should be about making some it should be but rarely is about like making something of worth that people love um or the you know the few people that need it get like get their hand on it and not so much like you know yeah how many millions of units can we move or whatever that kind of world so it's a kind of fundamental difference in philosophy i think as far as like how you're going to run a business because like you need to have the people on the creative side and then you need to have the people on the business side and sometimes the best thing for the business itself is to let the creative side do their own thing and not try to and that's just not i mean i've never been on a major label but that's your experience sounds very very common to me as far as like they're trying to they it's like they sign you no, knowing what you do and how unique it is and then they try to put you into some like square hole or round hole that you don't fit into even though you were never that in the first place the thing that is the kind of blight on the music and like everything you've heard for in the last 20 30 years it's 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 you know it's yeah maybe it's been happening from the beginning but something shifted and short term i don't know like add like short term goals like short term money and sell out quick sell out big cash out and get out like that was kind of even bands started kind of feeling like they had to adopt that and it's just a very strange thing that like oh man like 
just imagine if you had in my head i just think of all the great music that could have been made if 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 these artists had a cheerleader more or less that was kind of urging them to go like make a fucking great album make like five great albums like don't just kind of sell yourself short and you're strangely encouraged to it's like i think if we if we simply just kept repeating like just just record whatever happened to rock and roll over and over and over and over or spread your love over and over like every record technically that's like that's like the classic case of each band is if you have a hit just do that again and again and again and it's not so much about like anything more or less than that which is just cutting yourself short as an artist that's like becoming that's developing that's trying to find your way that's trying to echo something honest from like yourself and the times you're in but it's uh like that was kind of the oxygen was getting let out of the room for not just us it was happening you know across the board so it's a big reason why so much music sucks it's not much you know there's not much nutrients in the soil to grow and then all the coolest shit is usually underground and just bands and bands that are just they'll try and survive as long as they can on just kind of beer money and then there's some great arena whatever bands that have been around forever that were they know how to play the game but did you have any hesitation with working with vagrant given their kind of like emo (laughs) emo reputation or had that all subsided by that point because that was really or if that was that still the the image of the label and did you have any hesitation about working with them because of it no because we already had enough experience of knowing that like you can't judge a book by the cover so we we were you know we wanted to know what this what they actually believed in and what the actual terms of you know if we're going to hand like like the proper handshake and properly go in on this is it going to be fair and honest and will we get to make what we want and and as long as those were in place like the window dressing didn't really matter like emo like other things i honestly i remember hearing some of that and not caring as much as i don't know there there were other labels that were like very cool like cool and maybe more like fitting but you you know you look under the hood and it's just it's all rotted and it's like, you know, they're just in it to kind of screw you over. And I just thought that the way they approached, you know, music music and taking care of their artists was like the way it should be done. It was so strange that I'm still having a bit of a hard time believing it. <laughs> and and even during making the records, I was like, when's the other shoe going to drop? And, and it just never did um, but um yeah i was i was even like egging i remember egging them on it was beat the devil's tattoo album and i did get pissed off because there was uh like they didn't really have much money to help like you know promote it the way we're kind of trying to get ahead of water and i didn't <laughs> i was questioning uh, questioning if that was true or not and and i remember being kind of pissed off thinking like you know we've you know, it poured everything into this record. And, um, and I started tagging or I started like climbing up on, on billboards in a really like, well, if, if, if there's not, you know, if there's no money to like get the word out, I'll just take, take matters into my own hands. And, and I just go out and you could climb up on, you know, you know, the, the torn up billboards in LA where they're, they haven't put up the new one yet, but it's like all scraped off. So, I would just start climbing at night and tagging beat, beat, the, beat the Devil's Tattoo and the sort of like, well, if we got no budget, I'll show you like how to 
I, I, it's some kind of a daggett moody. This sounds like an amazing guerrilla marketing campaign. That's <laughs> well, it was just from sheer frustration and sheer, you know, like beating your head. I didn't want to. I'd rather do that and get, you know, possibly get fined or arrested than just be yelling at the wall of like, why aren't we getting our fair shake or whatever? And I was like, well, I'll spend the night vandalizing something, and that'll at least get out that, you know, out of my head. And then in the morning, people will be like, oh, what's that? <laughs> and did maybe it, let's check out the record. And then um, finally, finally, when Vagrant, like, I think it was, I think I didn't know that they'd like heard rumors about it, but they, or I, I wanted, <laughs> I wanted them to really get the, I don't know. Uh, I, yeah, I, I wanted them to, to never, for, never forget the band that, so I, it was like three or four in the morning and I drove over to their office and vandalized the front like the big giant gate entrance <laughs> and just you know, massive, massive beat the devil's tattoo. Like, so that when they got to work the next day, they knew that at least we were serious about like, you know, getting the word out about this goddamn record. And, and, were they, were and they... I remember getting a big slap on the wrist from our manager of like, you did not actually do that. Right. That you were just joking. Like, no, no, I was, I was serious the whole time. And so and so the, uh, but I was like, don't worry, they'll get it. Like it's, you know, it's like a loving sort of cheeky kick in the ass all within, you know, in good humor <laughs> in my head, at least that's the way it's all playing out. And, uh, and then actually the one that I did on vagrants, like, like great, like security great of the whole building, that one looked so good, um, by, by chance. Cause each one was a little different. We actually like kind of, I took that, I took a photo of it and then I ended up making like a lot of the t-shirts were of that specific one because it had this kind of naturalism to the tag. But anyway, thankfully we didn't get like dropped. Like they, they, Did they, they got say the, they got the, they were in on the joke and they, they were like, okay, this is they actually fucking cool. So you didn't get reprimanded you know, for it or anything. They were, they were cool about it. They got it. Yeah. Like that That's was good. You know, the next day, even though I was really like starting to get paranoid, I was like, Oh, maybe I screwed us and they're going to, you know, kick, they're going to like find this as some great disrespectful thing. I was like, um, or that you're, th or that you're threatening them. <laughs> the I also like spray painted the security camera, even though the security camera was technically broken before I got there, just for the record. But um, they like loved it, and then finally, when they were like in on it, I was like, oh, cool, let's just go all the way in on this, and and decided to make the album artwork um, like. Uh, like even the vinyl, like was like a slip, it, like it was a slip sleeve, like where you pulled the vinyl out and then there'd be a stent. The BRMC of the cover was essentially a stencil, like a do it yourself at home stencil of the letters of the band. And then the whole thing like took off and then other fans started tagging stuff all over the country and the world of, uh, where it was like, a, it was like gorilla, genuine gorilla marketing thing where, I did like 16 of them, but at a certain point, like I was getting tired. So um, it was like a beautiful transition was like the rest of these fans started taking it up in their own hometowns and there'd end up being one in Lawrence, Kansas, where it would just be like, oh shit, okay. And, and we didn't have money to promote the record. So like our fans ended up kind of doing it 
you know, with us. And it was like, it wasn't from like a committee of like, you know, we'll do this and get a street team and all this shit. It was just, I was just losing my mind. Like, <laughs> of like, how do you get, a, you know, the word out about a record? And, and that was the only, you know, besides actually scratching my fingernails against the wall or pulling my hair out, this just seems much more productive. Um, well, that's a much more, that's a much more proactive view to take than I think most musicians would do they would just get pissed off at the label and and be mad but you actually like took matters into your own hands and it sounds like it worked yeah it was i didn't think it worked like you know i didn't i thought it would be a couple of things and i'd probably be like oh this is fucking scary or i'd get because i was i was going I, I really wanted to go after the scientology celebrity center sign and that was that was the one that i was finally talked out of where they're like if you do that you know you're gonna end up screwed or you know some witches will put a hex on you or something and so i was like yeah that was that was that was my uh that was when i finally like drew 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 the line of like i won't i won't piss off the Scientologist, but <laughs> it did a lot of good damage like elsewhere but it's like it's pretty natural like even even now with like this pandemic like it's the most natural feeling in the world to just be you want to how do you get out there and how do you get your like you know your music heard and no one's got no dough and no one's got you know there's all these platforms are thought of it so so unsexy like it feels really good just to like art on demand and <laughs> marketing on demand where it's just yeah walk outside and make your own advertisement so uh, yeah it was very therapeutic <laughs> i guess you could say so how many records did you do with vagrant is it just the two no we did uh we did beat the devils tattoo we did specter at the feast and we did wrong creatures but i guess yeah like they wrong creatures was right around when bmg was that is transition with the bmg thing so and and we weren't sure what how that was going to fall like where the dominoes were going to like is it still going to be vagrant or not and then it was really like broke my heart when john cohen left and and i was because i knew something like was going to shift uh it just had to it's like you can't you can't shake hands or you can't expect the same kind of model within you know the bigger thing unless you know uh, is a uh, completely lucky but um there's just different rules to that to that world is cohen who brought you guys who you your your main guy there who brought you guys to the label i was weirdly like there was more than just one there was like three or four cats or five at the time uh and that, that they were it, it, like i don't even know like what they all did it was just they it they didn't they didn't carry themselves or or kind of you know put on airs like oh i'm the president and i do this and i do that it was just it felt more these are just like-minded people that hang out and we would just talk about music so it didn't have a hierarchy sense um and i didn't even know john was technically the like you know uh the, the king or whatever you want to call it um and uh president so it didn't feel like that so i never got you know i never asked like what's your role and position here it was just um it felt natural human kind of you know like talk and figure things out like sane people would i imagine when the bmg thing was happening was was you guys staying with bmg on the table or was it like i mean i could totally see why you wouldn't want to do that having had two bad major label experiences before but i didn't know if 
did BMG acquire Vagrant and then Vagrant just started becoming an only a catalog label at that point? Did, were they trying to get you guys to sign to BMG? Well, it was right around when Wrong Creatures was like our last record was done and we were we were just starting to put it out. So like my like our focus changed from just like fi- finishing writing recording to like touring and how we're going to do this. So so I I honestly don't even know the answer to that question because my like when I shift gears into like if I'm in studio mode that like I'm not thinking of anything other than recording and then when you're in tour mode I just I disappear from the world and I just kind of wrap get thrown into that so as far as like what the nature of the beast is or what the nature of like the relationship between like what it is now like i'm still kind of waiting to see how the chips are gonna fall or what's it gonna be like like the next time around so i do like a little bit of nervousness but uh, right now the band is like kind of doing different projects so it's like we're it's we're in no like rush to figure out the answer to that question i'm hoping it's gonna be cool because bmg is like it's got some real great shit on it. it's just it's just understanding that this is a much bigger machine that operates and has different needs and functionality than than the things you can get away with when it's just you know when it's just stripped down to just uh zero body fat throw the babies overboard figure out how to do it climb up on a building spray paint like you just those all those things you can't tick every box with that the same way did they uh did on the the record after that one uh, on Spectre? Did they like suggest any guerrilla marketing? Was it like kind of like, well, this happened, this worked the first on the last record. Maybe we should try. I don't know, skywriting no. or something. No, there was never. We always had so many ideas. They would kind of just go go along with the ride and support like the concepts we had, and that was kind of the deal from the beginning. So yeah, and that was the cool part about it was like you got actual support from a. A friend, and if you didn't, you just go vandalize their place until you did. So <laughs> <laughs> that was the deal. <laughs> until you wake them up. But no, they didn't. They expected us to do what we do, which is the, the creative side. And that's the way it should be. It's weird that you should even have to think about it differently. But yeah, yeah it's weird that that's, un- that that's unique. You know what I mean? It's it yeah, sounds it shouldn't so... be it shouldn't be the exception to the rule. It should yeah, it's really part of why I kind of wanted to give them props or speak up about them because it was like they were doing what like nobody else was doing, which is <laughs> doing it the right way. It makes me happy that it was still that way. Like cuz you came to work with them about 10 years after I started working with them, and that's why we wanted to be there. It was because it was like if they they let you do your own thing, they stayed out of your way. They were cool to hang out with. They just like talking about music, and it wasn't like these like weird expectations. And I would kind of assume after the success that they had that maybe that would change. But it sounds like fundamentally, and there's other bands that we've talked to that have come to them in this time kind of time period that it's like yeah, it was still exactly like that. It was still just let the artist be the artist and don't don't try to change them. And that makes me happy that it still was. I'm glad you had a good experience with them. Yeah, I can't say I can't speak for other backs. Yeah, just I, our experience was that way. Yeah, it deserves prop because it's like it's hard enough as it is without somebody having your back. And so it does go a long way and it changes what you make and how you make it. It affects it. I always felt like they were like at a good size, like of success where it was like they weren't like desperate and like clinging to like figuring out how to always keep the lights on and and also not like this massive like 
mega monopoly machine and in a lot of ways like our band was has always been similarly like <laughs> just successful enough where we're not having to like sell stuff off or get a day job and also never successful enough to have that thing that happens when just too much money and fame or it's mostly money that like kind of destroys destroys or at least changes drastically like what you're making and why you're making it which is you know like most everything but when it comes down to rock or artists like yeah the environment matters and just giving giving someone a hand goes a long way so that's it for this episode of vagrant records 25 years on the streets on our next episode, we'll begin to tell the story of murder by death as well as balance and composure. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast and rate it on iTunes. This podcast was produced by Jesse Cannon for Museformation and executive produced by Fred Feldman and Andrew Ellis. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again for the next episode.